0: Welcome to this episode of Energy Radio, a podcast by CEM Engineering with the goal of giving you the knowledge and the tools and the power to make decisions about your energy. This episode is a talk that I gave at the Energy Solutions Center CHP event in Miami earlier this year, where I talk about the 10 barriers to development of CHP and how to overcome them. Enjoy. Well, thank you to Eric and to the ESC. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, I'm here to talk to you about um, CHP barriers. We've had lots of good conversations so far about all the reasons we should do CHP, but I think most of us are pretty pragmatic and we realize that there are some barriers, or else the 9,000 or so sites that uh, Eric identified or somebody identified earlier that should be developed would have been by now. So um, I must apologize in Canadian fashion. I lead with an apology. Um, for my slide so w- I kind of delegate creative in our office and so the, the picture on the wall I must apologize that it's a little bit politically nonsensitive in today's environment in the US um, with a wall with a red arrow and a blue arrow um, identifying two sides of the aisle I, what I haven't figured out leading up to this is whether the green arrow is the green new deal or not um, <laughs> I'll, I'll leave it Judging by the reaction, I'll leave it there. Anyways, <laughs> moving on. Um, I, I was at the, uh, speaking of the, I'm gonna hold this because it's gonna fall. Um, speak, I was at the uh, an event where the DOE TAP from um, the Midwest was speaking in Chicago last week and they had uh, Congressman Sean Kasten, who's from Chicago and he has uh, his father Tom Kasten is famous in our industry. He's got a rich history in CHP. Uh, He had a lot of things to say about the Green New Deal. Anyway, so let's move off from politics and back to CHP. Uh, We like to think of, um, oh, I went the wrong way. We like to think of our world as a box. We, as engineers, often draw boxes or control volumes around things. And for us at our office, we're always thinking about what goes in and what comes out of the box that is CHP. And this will allow us to shape our discussion about barriers. So, you know, underneath the box is buried services. What or who is buried below where we're gonna put this thing? Geotech, Uh, a lot of these, this equipment is heavy and it vibrates, what's the ground like below our feet where we're gonna put this in? Uh, Natural gas, Uh, a lot of us uh, have an interest in putting natural gas into these boxes to drive Project benefits. Can we get it? Is it available? Is it uh, of good enough quality? Air quality. Uh, more particular with turbines, but also with resip engines. Air quality. We want to get something out of this deal. Uh, electrical energy. We need to be mindful of what's that going to look like coming out of the box. We have to put money in. These things don't come for free, so we have to put in capital. Can we get some benefits? Can we get tax incentives? We heard about those already from Eric this morning. Can we get financial incentives, uh, different jurisdictions? Uh, we, I would augment your slide, uh, Eric. I think um, Ontario, where I'm coming from, I think Red was the best place for CHP. We ourselves have done about 100 megawatts over the last little while, over 30 projects. We have had significant financial incentives to the tune of 40% of capital, um, so that's, that's driven a significant market there. But municipal approvals, you know, local authorities having jurisdiction can have a big impact on our world. Um, fire and insurance approvals I'll come back to this a little bit later uh, we do have something coming out of the box in terms of air uh, emissions co2 emissions noise emissions as Jesse referenced multiple times uh, and we have thermal energy that we want to uncover so this is what goes in and comes out of the box and this can be what trips us up sometimes in terms of um, the uh, the barriers for CHB you know some of the stuff going in some of the stuff coming out can cause us a barrier so um, in the fashion of, of David Letterman, I'm gonna talk about the top 10 barriers uh, for CHB. Uh, like his lists, this is in no particular order. Um, so the first barrier is, well, what if the spark spread is permanently bad? Um, Eric had a, a measure of you know, three, I might be using a little bit uh, different units, but um, you need to know your average unit price of purchase power, and CHB, in our office, when we look at it, cents per kilowatt hour divided by dollars per MMBTU, it's two to one or greater um, CHP we should take a long hard look well what if it isn't Um, so I realize this is largely a natural gas uh, crowd but if it isn't uh, one of the things that we're starting to gain traction with um, is maybe look at some kind of if it's an industrial plant or if it's in a a forested area is there some kind of organic waste um, you know wood chip residue uh, that you can do some kind of biomass, combustion, or anaerobic digester. So where we get the fuel either as uh, free fuel or a fuel uh, that provides uh, even a revenue stream because it's being diverted from a landfill. This is an example of a paper mill where there's um, you know, certain residue streams that are off-spec that could be burned in a like a tra- small traveling grate type boiler. Uh, so we're getting some traction in, in areas where um, carbon is increasingly becoming a swear word, uh, at least fossil fuel-based carbon. Um, what Barrier number two, spark spread is sometimes poor. So when we have time of use, uh, utility rates, um, it's important to know your cost to make power. So uh, FCP, uh, for those who uh, don't follow all the TLAs, the three-letter acronyms in our space, FCP is fuel chargeable to power. So once we set aside the fuel that's chargeable to heat and you would need that anyways, what fuel is left over chargeable to making power? Multiplying that by your burner tip cost, that's you know, notionally your cost to make power. Um, and then know the cost that the utility has uh, for, for you to buy power and operate your CHP in such a way that you are, um, you're operating it only when the cost to make power is less than the cost uh, to buy power. Um, And so, you know, if you design your CHP in such a way, maybe you're running it for four hours in the morning and for four hours at night, or um, in Alberta where we have a pool price that fluctuates greatly over the course of the day, maybe you're displacing load, expensive load, uh, for a while and then you're exporting for a time. So, systems well designed, well um, sized can help you when you have a fluctuating pool price. For power. This is a bakery in Chicago, it's an older installation, but it comes on twice a day, Monday to Friday, and the rest of the time it lies dormant because it's cheaper to buy power than to make power. So that's an option to overcome that barrier. Barrier number three, aha. Um, so we often get, uh, and Eric experienced it in his presentation this morning, we often get frequent nuisance trips uh, from the utility where our service is tripped offline. Um, this happens, you know, as we get more renewables on the grid, especially in the transmission space, as we get more weather events, we're going to see uh, nuisance trips be a real challenge for CHP. Um, so if you're operating in parallel with the utility, uh, but then you get a lot of either trips because your protection trips you offline or because of, um, you know, a remote trip relay from the utility, uh, one of the things that we're promoting is a CHP that can island the complete in the event of a trip signal, um, we all like to see pictures. This is a uh, salt evaporator plant uh, right across from Detroit, uh, in a small uh, city called Windsor, and it's an outdoor CHP. And it, the turbine, in this case, is larger than the load of the, of the facility, and it's right in the shadow of a new uh, bridge that we are. Um, building across the Detroit River. So on one border, we're building walls, on the other border, we're building bridges. But the problem is that the... Um, sorry, that was in my notes, but I wasn't supposed to say that part. Um, the problem is all this big construction causes really bad nuisance trips to this, to this local utility. And so this, this salt plant, they trip offline. If, if they didn't have CHP, they would just lose production but um, they just island the plant and they keep making salt, and so it's paid significant dividends for them in a very poor uh, power quality grid. Well, Matt, it's nice that you're coming from your uh, very liberal, uh, green-leaning climate in Ontario where you have lots of financial incentives, but what about my jurisdiction where there aren't um, financial incentives or they're very hard to get and not maybe worth the effort? There are some sweet spots uh, with respect to a combination of your heat rate and the offtake for load and uh, the size where you know, there, some um, projects make sense without, um, without uh, the incentives or consider uh, used or surplus equipment. We're seeing a lot of uh, projects, for example, the project on the left there, uh, that is uh, from the new surplus market, there are 10 800 kilowatt machines where they were you know a cancelled project uh, the, the host site, in this case a large automotive facility, was willing to take them on. project got no incentives, and uh, they have 8 megawatts of generation um, that operates uh, flawlessly. So there's some refurbishment work that has to happen, but it's a neat opportunity to keep the capital down and avoid a barrier of low incentives uh, or no incentives. The project on the right is a 3 megawatt a Yenbacher project at an ethanol plant. Um, new equipment, but the it was a sweet spot in terms of where everything converged and the project didn't need financial incentives. Barrier number five, um, punitive standby rates. This is from the electrical perspective, so there are, you know, if you talk to anybody who's tried to do CHP in Chicago, for example, uh, they're very cynical because in the early years Chicago had really punitive uh, standby rates, which they really called anti-cogent rates. Um, and so they, you know, the utilities do this because they perceive it, at least initially, as a loss of revenue. Um, and so what happens is, you're weighted, if you're still consuming power, that power price is really, really expensive, uh, or you're paying crazy standby rates. So we're seeing more and more customers where punitive, and I think this was referring to Alan's comment earlier, seeing projects go off the grid all the time. Um, and when Alan was referring to the grid, he was referring, I think, to the electrical grid. Um, as opposed to the natural gas grid so these two are examples of almost the one on the left is a 25 year old facility it used to be a Heinz ketchup plant uh, and then mr. Buffett bought Heinz and he closed this plant but the the um, the employees reopened it and so it's got two turbines this plant never connects to the grid it's got a natural gas uh, high pressure service but it never connects to the electrical grid the plant on the right is a paper mill and the standby rate and the cost of the power that we're buying just went up and up and up and they said, you know what, screw it. We're gonna open the breaker and we're gonna make power um, and, and feed our mill and that's it. And uh, these these plants run uh, very, very continuously, completely islanded from the grid. Uh, barrier number six often can be the authorities having jurisdiction. This could be a variety of, uh, you know, whether it's building permit, uh, the fire marshal, uh, Boiler and machinery insurance providers. You know, for certain host sites, uh, they may impose you know undue influence. Often, this shows up as extraneous uh, or extra costs on a project that may make it you know not as feasible as originally anticipated. Um, the best way is really to get way ahead of this. So, identify the AHJs that apply to a project, uh, do some front-end engineering, do some project development, uh, engage them early, and educate them. Often often they impose restrictions because they just maybe don't know. They don't know what the CHP is. They, they have this, we had this in Toronto, they thought it was a big combined cycle plant. And then when we took them back to the plot of land where we wanted to put this, they said, oh, this is all you're talking about? Oh, okay. So, you know, Jesse mentioned this too, like a site visit to an existing CHP site, um, just get early on down that education path. And, and this is a barrier that can typically be overcome um, the, the picture there on the left is a Kimberly Clark mill in uh, in central Ontario. Their FM Global rep, their uh, insurance provider, really had heartburn about hey, you're burning gas in a turbine. Uh, how are we going to? But you know, we, we were hesitant about what we want to do from a fire suppression perspective. And they just started adding all of these costs and all of these potential risks from a fire suppression perspective. So we brought them to the plant on the right. Which has been operating for 25 years, and we walked them through what we were doing there, what you know worked well, and it was a complete eye opener. They they dramatically changed their position on uh, fire suppression and fire protection. Barrier number seven: um, What happens if the electrical interconnect capacity um, does not exist? So, you need if you're going to generate in parallel with an electric utility, they have to have. This was referred to a little bit earlier. They have to have capacity in, in the case that. Uh, you may feed out, or in the event of a fault, they have to have the systems that can protect against fault current. But sometimes that's not the case. Now, we're seeing that, especially where there's a large deployment of renewables. We're seeing a lot of that capacity, whether it's short circuit capacity, which speaks to the event of a fault, or thermal capacity, which speaks to just you know different load flows across the system. Often um, it's pinched, and it's not. Um, we can't do anything about that. So there are some technolo- depending on the the limitation, there are some technologies that are available whether it be line reactors, uh, different impedances on a transformer, or clips, which is a current limiting device, um, you know, these, these kind of um, applications can be you know, applied to certain projects and make a project go ahead uh, where at first glance the capacity doesn't exist. Um, and, you know, this is kind of our catch all statement around CEM, if it doesn't exist, just go island it from the grid, and operate uh, from the utility all the time. Just for fun, this is a picture of a, a clip where um, it's, it's a current interrupting device, but it uses dynamite, and so it interrupts within three or four cycles, um, as opposed to a normal breaker, which interrupts a lot more, sl- a lot slower, uh, slower in the context of you know, 60 hertz, as opposed to slower uh, in terms of running a race or some other normal speed. Barrier number eight. Um, the electrical interconnect is maybe costly or lengthy. So sometimes the capacity exists, but you're dealing with a utility that doesn't have a standard, hasn't done this before, uh, maybe has a standard, has been burned in the past, and they want to make it really lengthy and costly. Um, so you know, I want to show an example of where you may decide again to op- not operate in parallel with the utility um, because another thing that you get to think about when you're developing a project or when a client is developing a project is. If, if you have a lengthy approval process with the interconnect, every month that you're not generating, every month that plant is not up and running, you're losing out on savings. And so that's often, at least with our clients, that's often forgot about it. At first glance is time is money and the quicker we can get this up and running, the better. Um, so as, as has become our kind of slogan on an ongoing basis, uh, design the CHB such that you don't need the electric utility at all. And just wanna show you an example. We're seeing this a lot in the greenhouse space um, especially in, uh, in Canada where uh, cannabis is legal federally, uh, both medical and recreational, they can't build these um, greenhouses fast enough. They can't get the product to market fast enough. And the real pinch is often the electric utility. So here's an example. These are Martin Energy Guaspor units at a greenhouse, again, not far from Detroit, uh, where they, they run the lights, they run all the fans, they run everything, and there's no electrical interconnect. Um, you know. Traditionally, the gas can get there relatively quickly, or even we just did, finished a project in a, in a mining community in Northern Ontario where it was propane initially and then compressed, compressed natural gas. So the fuel is almost never the issue, it's the electrical interconnect that takes far too long. So there are ways to get around that. Uh, barrier number nine, environmental permitting. So this is becoming increasingly something that um, imposes um, yeah, challenges on and delays on projects. Typically, we see this uh, in two ways, air, air emissions and, and, and noise emissions. Um, so air being SOx and NOx and CO uh, and greenhouse gas and noise um, greenhouse gas from an accounting perspective and then noise emissions. Typically, you know, you heard Jesse talk a little bit about from a noise perspective and an air perspective, but good engineering getting ahead of this can typically solve it. Um, you know, whether it's through, you know, dry, low emissions on a turbine or, or, and, or an SCR on a recip or a turbine, depending on your jurisdiction, um, you know, noise emissions require, you know, detailed specifications and, and getting ahead of this. Noise is one of those things where y- you don't get a second chance, right? So you, you may technically get a second chance if you, if you deploy an asset and then there's a noise complaint, you can put noise mitigation devices onto it as a retrofit, but to the noise um, receptor, that noise is always going to exist. Whether it's real or not, it's hard to debate it. And once the once the complaint is out there. So noise is really one of those things, we've got to get it from day one, or it's going to be you know a struggle for, for the industry as a whole. Um, and so on the left there, that's one of those highline containers. That's a long-term care facility um, in Ontario where they need to have, you know, the residents needed to have no impact by the noise of the uh, CHP on the right. That is the Campbell Soup plant in Toronto, uh, where they are kitty-corner to a school, and so noise emissions was also uh, preeminent. And so you can see in the uh, in the ductwork here uh, that those are a whole bunch of silencers, and then there's a whole building around it with uh, different noise attenuation on it. So um, it's, it's something that can be done, but you know just got to get ahead of it and make sure it's included in the design. And then this is jurisdictionally specific, but we're seeing punitive carbon taxes become um, something that's discriminating against fossil fuel. Uh, in Canada, we, we talk about carbon being a swear word. Um, we talk about a post-carbon world, and what we mean by that is a post-fossil fuel world. Um, you know, certainly California, but but Quebec, Ontario. We have we have a more liberal government by our standards even right now, and they're really pushing towards a carbon tax. It'll be fifty dollars a ton by 2022. Um, so this is really uh, giving us grief for those of us who, you know, make our living burning carbon, burning fossil fuels. For those of us, for it's all we've known. Uh, it's a concern, but there are ways around it. Whether it's you know combustion of biomass, as I mentioned earlier, uh, anaerobic digester. Um, even rng we're seeing a lot of Rng development and um, you know that will pinch your spark spread as the Rng costs more than uh, than conventional fuels but uh, it is coming this post carbon world is coming the, the society is taking us there uh, and then the policy will follow um, so I mean there are many projects this is a, in, in southern Alberta this is a two point eight megawatt where they this is, I show this picture because it's kind of fun it's a biogas plant but it's in southern Alberta where there's a million beef cattle a year being processed and they have a 1% dead stock rate. And in Alberta, because of Mad Cow, BSE, they have a they only had one landfill in all of Alberta where they could go. So this biogas developer developed a, a, an approved uh, Canadian food and inspection agency pre-treatment where they, it's like a pressure cooker. They cook the dead stock and then they use it in the digester and then they make electricity from it. So um, yeah, it's, it's a pretty cool uh, site. And, uh, anyways, the, the jokes—you could go anywhere with that with that story. I'll I'll, I'll leave it alone because we're approaching lunchtime. So, in conclusion, just um, you know, there are a lot of <laughs> barriers. Uh, I've picked ten. You know, every project is unique. Uh, every project will have its own barriers. Some of which may have not been touched on. Uh, in conc- in conclusion, you know, the, the technology's improved dramatically. So, the confidence that we have in islanding a facility, for example. Uh, is stronger than it ever has been because of the technology. Um, It's important to, you know, think these projects through, you know, get ahead of it with front-end engineering to identify and mitigate risks. Um, Working with the gas utilities has always been far and away the easiest part of a CHP project, Uh, although um, my friends in Ontario, it's getting a little bit harder. Um, But we have friends like Akil and... uh, who work with us on that but uh, know your electric utilities interconnect approval process you know what do they charge you to operate in parallel with with your with their system Uh, what's their standby power charges that's important to know Uh, and at the risk of uh, beating a dead horse at the risk of repeating myself and being able to leave the grid island at any time Is is key because it provides flexibility, right? It gives the owner flexibility to make decisions, make, buy, sell uh, island. It it gives that uh, flexibility. And you know, this is this is going to take time in certain jurisdictions, but this post fossil fuel carbon CHP market is coming. Um, You know, California and Ontario will move there before the rest of us. But uh, it's something that is always at the front of mind for us as we you know nurture these projects. I really appreciate your time, uh, really appreciate the engagement, and it's an honor to be here with you, and if, if we have some time for questions, I'll gladly take that, and, uh, and I think we've got one more session before lunch. So. Thank you for listening to another episode of Energy Radio. For more information on CEM, look us up at cemeng.ca, or find us on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook. If this podcast brought you value, it would mean a great deal to us if you would share it with somebody else for whom energy is a challenge. Remember, we're all in this together as we search to manage our energy and environmental goals.